You're listening to Breast Cancer Connection, where we connect you with breast cancer experts on what you need to know to navigate your experience. Hello, I'm Kathy Amandalea, and today we're talking about breast cancer recurrence. For many women with breast cancer, the likelihood of recurrence is something that is always in the back of mind. It can significantly impact a person's life even after the active treatments are completed. Helping us understand how oncologists assess likelihood of recurrence is our guest expert, Dr. Karen Gelman. Dr. Gelman is professor of medicine at the University of British Columbia and medical oncologist at BC Cancer. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let's start with one of the most common questions. If your doctor is talking to you about the likelihood of recurrence, what does that really mean? So recurrence is one word, but it really is talking about really three different kinds of recurrence when we talk about breast cancer. Recurrence can be locally in the area of the breast where the cancer initiated. It can be a recurrence in the other breast, or it can be a recurrence around the body. And that's the one that worries both oncologists and patients most. There's often talk about low or high risk. Can you explain what that means? When we diagnose a breast cancer, we look at a number of different features, which we can go into in a few minutes. Those features are put together to determine whether this cancer is a low-risk cancer that has a very, very low likelihood of recurring, particularly recurring around the body, or whether that cancer is very high risk of recurring, particularly around the body. Putting those factors together the oncologist, the surgeon, the radiation oncologist, and the patient together come up with a plan of what the best treatment would be to decrease that risk of recurrence. So understanding the causes of recurrence, how and why does cancer return? That's the question that lots of people don't understand, and hopefully we can help people understand that. Cancers are made up of millions and millions of cells, those cells can travel from the site of origin around the body. So for example, we hear about someone with prostate cancer who then has it in their bones. That man still has prostate cancer, but it's gone to the bones. Similarly with a breast cancer. So the lump in the breast is made up of millions and millions of cells. And those cells, prior to any surgery, prior often to even a diagnosis, can travel through the bloodstream or through the lymphatic system around the body. When we talk about the low risk and high risk we already talked about, what we're trying to determine is, was this cancer at low risk of traveling around the body or of coming back locally, or was that cancer at high risk of traveling around the body before diagnosis and coming back? So something else, in determining whether cancer cells may have spread outside the breast before surgery, how can you speak to that? So this is something where we'd all like to get very, you know, much more information and better tools. At this time, we determine the risk by the features of the cancer, which I'll go into in a few moments. We determine it by a number of things, what the cancer looks like under the microscope, as well as the size of the cancer and is it in the lymph nodes. We determine it sometimes in higher risk cancers by doing scans such as CT scans and PET scans. But today, we do not have the tools yet to 100% determine whether there are any cells out there. 
even the best PET scan, even the best CT scan can't 100% determine whether there are cells out there because that requires us to really look at individual cells and none of our imaging can do that. There are technologies being developed such as circulating tumor DNA, which is a blood test, to try to see if we can determine it, but that's not yet been validated. So we don't yet know how accurate that is at determining whether the cancer is spread. So unfortunately, what we have to tell the person with breast cancer today is we'll do our best at estimating what that risk of recurrence is, but we don't have the tools to tell you for sure or not whether that cancer has spread. And another thing that I would say is that often individuals, patients might think that more testing is better to quote unquote, catch the disease if it has spread. What do you think about that? So it matters when the more testing is and it matters what the tests are. So when somebody is diagnosed upfront, what we need to do is look at the tumor. And that's important. We do do bone scans, sometimes CT scans, sometimes CT PET scans at diagnosis for those high-risk cancers. But as I said, those don't necessarily determine everything, and more tests are not necessarily better. Likewise, after someone's been diagnosed with cancer, and as you said in your intro, after they've completed treatment, it's not clear yet whether frequent testing is of any value. Right now, we know that frequent scans aren't of value, particularly because they add increased radiation to a person. Whether or not some of our newer technologies, whether or not we're going to get a blood test that would be of value is something to determine in the future, but we're not there yet. Can you speak to why it's important to have this information in order to understand the risk of recurrence to a patient? I think it's really important for a few reasons. One is I think it's important to give power to the person with the cancer so they know what they're dealing with. And that power might be telling them that this is a very, very, very curable cancer, a very low-risk cancer with just surgery you're going to be cured. And that can give the power to the person to let go of some of the anxiety that the cancer word gives and to live their life as fully as they can. Alternatively, if it's a very, very high-risk cancer, that might mean that we want to give very aggressive treatment. And therefore, being able to determine that will, first of all, determine our treatment, which we can talk about, but also gives power to the person to say, okay, this is why I need to go through this cancer treatment. I understand why I need to do this. I understand why my life is being put on hold, sort of, as I go through all of this. And I understand what I need to do and how I need to live life fully because I know I have a high risk. So one of the first reasons is to give power to the person of understanding, to give information and knowledge. And I think that's very, very important in terms of patient-centered care. The second reason is to determine treatment. So in a very small cancer that is low risk, and what do we mean by low risk? It would be grade one. So grade is what it looks like to the pathologist. It's very slow growing. It may be stage one. It may be very small, not in the lymph nodes. In one of those cancers, particularly if it's hormone sensitive, we might only need to do surgery. The woman or man might need to have some radiation to their breast area, and we may prescribe hormone treatment, but even there, it might be shorter hormone treatment. 
Alternatively, if the pathology shows that this is a very large cancer, or that it's in lots of lymph nodes, or that's invaded into skin or lymphatic system, if the biology of the cancer is that it's very high grade, meaning that it's growing very fast, or that it's estrogen negative, or that it's HER2 positive, we may in those situations say, this is a high risk cancer. And to decrease the risk of this cancer coming back around the body and locally, we need to do surgery, we need to do radiation, we need to do chemotherapy. Maybe we need to do some targeted therapy as well, such as some anti-HER2 therapy or some immunotherapy or some um, germline therapy. And we need to do all of those therapies as well as maybe hormone therapy to decrease the risk of that cancer coming back. So determining risk, number one, can give information to the patient that can empower the patient. And number two, can determine the risk. Finally, we talked a little bit about testing and follow-up might be determined a little bit based on risk. Somebody who has a very, very low-risk cancer maybe only needs mammograms in follow-up. Somebody who has a higher-risk cancer, maybe there are other tests that might be helpful, particularly in the future, because as I said, right now we're not sure we have those tests. So let's talk about assessing likelihood of recurrence. What are the factors that oncologists look at when they're determining what your likelihood of recurrence is? So that's a really good question. So first of all, let's talk about local recurrence. Likelihood of local recurrence, meaning it's come back in the breast that it first affected, has to do often with size. Was it adequately removed? Were the margins clear? Was it high grade or not? Those are the factors that often determine local recurrence. When we look at distant recurrence, is it going to come back in brain or lung or liver or bones or one of the organs of the body? Is it going to turn into stage four cancer? That is often determined by sometimes the size and in the lymph nodes because those still are important. But the biology of the cancer is also important. So something we briefly talked about, grade, what does it look like to the pathologist? Is it slow growing, medium growing, or fast growing? Second, and if it's fast growing, then its risk of recurrence around the body is going to be higher. Secondly, we might look at, is it sensitive to estrogens or not? We know that some tumors that are sensitive to estrogens can still be very aggressive and come back. We also know that tumors that are insensitive to estrogens something we call ER negative or ER low, those ones often have a higher risk of recurring early. We look at HER2 and other features like that because we know if those aren't properly treated, they have a higher risk. One of our goals always is, first of all, to diagnose cancers early, but also to determine the best treatment. And the best treatment is going to be that treatment that decreases or really negates the ability of the cancer to come back. The best treatment is going to be determined by the features of the cancer. So that brings me to the next point of uh, the type of breast cancer. How does that impact the risk of recurrence? So the type of breast cancer really does. So as I said, first of all, we do look at the size and whether it's in lymph nodes, which is the stage of the breast cancer. And we know that the higher stage, if it's a stage three, it's got a higher risk of recurrence than a stage one. 
The other risk factors, the biology of the breast cancer, those are the type of breast cancers. So we look at the type of breast cancer. Is it an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer or is it what we call a triple negative breast cancer? Is it a HER2 positive breast cancer or is it a HER2 negative breast cancer? And we really meld those biological features with the architectural features, with the stage of the disease to determine the risk. So as I've said, the lowest risk cancer is going to be that stage one, stage grade one, estrogen receptor positive cancer. The highest risk of recurrence, particularly around the body, is going to be in that stage three cancer, the bigger cancer in the lymph nodes, in that cancer that's grade three or faster growing. And that cancer also might be estrogen unresponsive. So all of those things might feature. If we talk about age, how does age play in recurrence? How much of a role is there? So that's an excellent question that I don't think we've got a final answer for. We know some hints. So first of all, studies of elderly persons have not suggested that treatment should be changed unless the person has a lot of other illnesses. And we know that although many, many elderly women have estrogen receptor positive cancers, we can see more aggressive estrogen negative cancers. We can see HER2 positive cancers. And in elderly women, these may behave aggressively. In young women, although there's a higher proportion of triple negative and HER2 positive breast cancers presenting in young women, about 50% of breast cancers in young women are estrogen receptor positive. Many studies suggest that very young women have a bit of a higher risk kind of cancer just by virtue of being young. By very young, it's usually defined as less than 35, although some studies are less than 40. This is suggested, but it's not 100% proven that young women do have that. One of the other features is that young women have a bit of a higher risk of having what's called a germline mutation, something they inherit from their mother or father that puts them at higher risk of getting breast cancer. And we haven't yet determined whether those cancers are higher risk. All in all, we think that if cancers are treated properly, they probably aren't of a great, much greater higher risk. So I think age comes into it in that with a young, young woman, we know that she might have a higher risk of having a high-grade cancer. We know she might have a higher risk of having a, her inherited type of cancer. And her cancer might be a bit more aggressive, but it's not 100%. Some young women have very, very low-risk cancers as well. So once you know your risk, does having surgery make a difference to the risk level? So surgery is very important in dealing with the local risk. So taking out the cancer remains important. Even though there are studies going on looking at people who've had chemo up front, do they really need surgery after? Surgery is still the mainstay. And with surgery, we like to get clear margins. We like to remove that cancer. So surgery is very important in terms of decreasing that risk. What about in terms of decreasing risk around the body? If you remove the cancer and if cancer cells have not yet left that vas, then obviously that's going to decrease the risk. Many women, however, fail to understand that surgery alone is not going to get rid of their risk. Many women say, 
I'm going to have that surgery and I'm never going to have to worry about breast cancer again. What the women unfortunately don't understand well is that if a cancer cell has left the mass prior to the surgery, doing surgery on the breast is not going to get rid of those cells that have already traveled. That's where hormone treatment or chemotherapy may come in. The second thing that is not understood is many women think that if they get their other breast off as well, they're not going to have any risk. But getting their other breast off is going to decrease their risk of getting a new cancer. Their biggest risk, however, may be from the cancer they already had and maybe from cells that have already left that cancer. So that's why it's really important that there's multidisciplinary care, that there's a surgeon working with a medical oncologist, working with a radiation oncologist, working with the person with cancer, because to decrease risk as much as we can, we may need to do all of those modalities, surgery, chemo, hormones, radiation. In addition to what you've just discussed, is there anything else people can do themselves to help reduce their risk? For example, lifestyle changes, uh, awareness. So this is something really important. It'd be really, really nice if we had an easy answer for this, but we don't. We see breast cancer occurring in persons who are incredibly healthy, who eat well, who don't drink alcohol, who don't smoke cigarettes, who exercise regularly. So being healthy is not a primary prevention, meaning it doesn't stop getting cancer completely. Although certainly some things like heavy alcohol intake can increase your risk of getting a breast cancer. What about after you've had breast cancer? There is some increasing evidence that things like maintaining a proper weight, that um, exercise, maintaining exercise, that sleep, that eating a good diet, that limiting other things can, and, and looking after your psychological side, can potentially improve your outcomes. But none of them alone will conclusively and definitively decrease the risk of getting cancer back. What do I tell my patients? I say, all of these things are important. They're important for your overall health. They're important for your bones, for your cardiovascular health, for your psychological health, for your well-being. And they may be important also for decreasing cancer risk, but we've got to also know that they alone are not foolproof. What you never want to do is have somebody say, well, I did everything and a cancer still came back. So it's important that People do those things, but it's not fail-safe. Worrying about recurrence is normal. What would you recommend to patients who are worried about recurrence? So everyone worries about recurrence. And when I talk to someone about recurrence and they're worried, I know they've really heard and understood that they have a cancer. I think what they need to know is, first of all, they need to get clear information from their healthcare provider so that they can put into balance what their real risk is. We don't want people over-worrying their recurrence. Secondly, they have to realize that everyone has something ahead of them. And we never can predict. For somebody, it may be their breast cancer, it may be something else, and we just have to live life as fully as we can. Thirdly, I think patients with cancer need to do what they can do. Although lifestyle changes are not a guarantee against the cancer coming back, certainly we know that 
exercise, a good diet, keeping a normal weight, avoiding drinking too much, looking after your psychological and spiritual state. All of those things are important for general health, and they may not be a guarantee against the cancer coming back, but maybe they can also help. So, you know, putting it into balance, it doesn't mean never eating anything bad for you, but putting into balance, having a good diet, and some of those things can help a person feel more in control, and sometimes that can decrease their risk of recurrence. Finally, if somebody is really paralyzed by the risk of recurrence, I think getting psychological guidance, going to a therapist, going to somebody at the cancer center, a social worker, to talk it out and to really address their fears is important. Excellent. Well, I think that's about all we have time for today. Thank you again, Dr. Gelman, for the great conversation. For more resources or support, visit cbcn.ca or find us on social media. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and join us next time for another episode of Breast Cancer Connection.